section six of the national geographic magazine volume ten april eighteen ninety nine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. read by betty b geographic literature the educational series of rock specimens collected and distributed by the united states geological survey by joseph silas diller pages four hundred with sixty-five illustrations bulletin number one hundred fifty u s geological survey charles d walcott director washington eighteen ninety eight twenty five cents a good many years ago major j w powell then director of the geological survey conceived the happy idea of distributing among the leading educational institutions of the country collections of specimens of typical rocks for use in the study of certain branches of geology the collection classification and distribution of the material was an undertaking of no small magnitude and it is only recently that it has been completed concurrently with such completion there has been published a treatise on the study of rocks in which the educational specimens are minutely described sixty-nine of them by mr j s diller who has been almost wholly responsible for their selection and arrangement and eighty-seven by other well-known geologists while fulfilling in a way that leaves nothing to be desired its primary function as a handbook to the mineral collections this work has an educational value that is entirely its own as an attractively written and handsomely an instructively illustrated manual to the study of lithology and petrography with a courage and good sense worthy of general emulation mr diller although dealing with an exceedingly technical subject has not disdained to make himself intelligible to the non-scientific reader some of his definitions even recalling huxley's famous norwich lecture on a piece of chalk that marvelous example of lucid exposition which every scientific writer reaching out to a popular audience may with so much advantage make his model j h the mechanical composition of wind deposits by johann august uden pages sixty nine rock island illinois eighteen ninety eight a few years ago dr johannes walther a distinguished german geographer and traveler in many lands visited this country and became interested in the efficiency of our western winds in geographic development he was especially impressed with the work of the winds in erosion and in a widely quoted article in the national geographic magazine he described this agency appreciatively designating it deflation now comes professor uden of augustana college with a still more elaborate memoir dealing with the work of the wind as an agent of transportation and deposition his inquiry was suggested and indeed started by a question of the eolic origin of the loess of the mississippi valley afterward it extended to dunes and other deposits of drifted sand still later he turned his attention to the air itself devised ingenious appliances for collecting atmospheric dust and proceeded to examine and sort the material with infinite patience the various materials from dunes and lee slopes and air were classified into groups 
or grades of eleven diameters and the quantities including of course the relative proportions of each were carefully determined and are represented graphically in the memoir the determinations indicate that the wind is an assorting agent of great delicacy for the range and magnitude of particles in any particular deposit is slight and consistent the general result of the study is to establish criteria for discriminating wind deposits and ascertaining the conditions under which they were laid down the bearing of the inquiry on the origin of the much discussed loess of the mississippi valley is noted though professor uden judiciously refrains from final expression it may be hoped that his excellent work will stimulate corresponding investigation of the mechanical composition of glacier mud and river silt professor uden's memoir is bound to become a standard w j m twelfth annual report of the interstate commerce commission advanced copy without appendices pages ninety one washington january eleventh eighteen ninety nine tenth annual report on the statistics of railways in the united states for the year ending june thirtieth eighteen ninety seven prepared by the statistician to the commission advanced copy without tables pages one hundred fourteen and map the announcement of the practical failure of the interstate commerce law contained in the eleventh annual report of the commission was so distinct and unequivocal that it has been difficult to anticipate what would be added after another twelve months of legislative inaction in the language of the present report to state that the law in its present condition cannot be enforced is only to repeat what has already been said and the commission after a brief though emphatic characterization and a few pertinent illustrations of the situation as it was at the close of eighteen ninety eight passes to the discussion of practicable remedies comparing the rather definite intimations in this connection with the significant omissions in that of last year one feels warranted in describing the later omission as a record of the progress of the commission toward a fuller appreciation and fairer expression of the necessities of the railway situation and of the fact that railway corporations and investors have rights to protect as well as duties to perform it is not that the recommendations of last year's report were in themselves objectionable or that they reappear substantially altered in form or substance it is rather the change in the order in which they are presented and the transference of emphasis that is remarkable and significant last year there was a great deal in regard to the power to correct rates the imperfections of the long and short haul clause the lack of finality accorded the proceedings before the commission but very little concerning the desirability and means of restraining competition and that little expressed in exceedingly indefinite and general terms the following extracts from the present report are expressed in terms neither indefinite nor unnecessarily general a railroad is essentially a monopoly this is literally true as to all local points upon its line which are reached by it alone it is only at competitive points that is at points where traffic can be carried by two or more lines that the railroads become actual competitors it results from this fact that as a rule 
competitive points gain at the expense of non-competitive points the natural result of railway competition it may be fairly said is to create preferences between localities the same thing is true of preference between individuals considered a priori therefore we should expect that railway competition would produce preferences and discriminations between communities and between persons what might to a large extent be expected has actually occurred beyond all legitimate excuse one of the outcomes of these railway abuses was the act to regulate commerce the purpose of that act was largely to do away with preferences and discriminations it also aimed to keep alive competition between railways by prohibiting pooling arrangements in other words it endeavored to eradicate the results and to perpetuate the cause to one familiar with actual conditions it seems practically out of the question to establish rates that are relatively just without conference and agreement but when rates have once been established the act itself requires that they shall be observed until changes are announced in the manner provided certainly it ought not to be unlawful for carriers to confer and agree for the purpose of doing what the law enjoins the logical way to remove these evils would be to remove their cause if unrestricted competition produces discrimination one obvious way to prevent such discrimination is to restrict competition we are inclined to think that time has demonstrated the futility of attempting by criminal enactments to secure absence of discrimination in railway rates so long as independent ownership and unrestrained competition exists we are inclined to think that competition should be restricted but if the railroads are allowed to agree for that purpose such conditions should be imposed as will fully protect the public interest while the ideas of the commission have developed they have not vacillated the conditions which must be imposed in the interest of the public are those that were advocated a year ago though it is now easier to discover the broad and intelligent spirit of compromise which no one doubts will lead the commission whenever amendatory legislation can be secured and would have led it at any time in the past to make every reasonable concession which will not endanger the rights of the public the report contains the usual review of the year's work in railway regulation and a brief historical sketch of traffic associations it is rather curious that the attention of the commission does not appear to have been directed to the very remarkable and unusually successful chicago omaha pool which is antedated by four years the saratoga conference and unlike the latter produced substantial results it was an investigation of the operations of this pool that led the railroad commission of iowa to declare that pools constitute the only agency that can compel the through traffic to bear as it should its proportion of the interest on the cost of maintaining and operating the roads one turns with relief from the report of the commission with its disheartening record of legislative inefficiency and inertia to the report of its statistician the formal excellence of the latter leaves nothing to be desired and the most critical statistician might well prefer to expend whatever space can be given for review in praise rather than to call attention to its few shortcomings it is no fault of professor adams 
that this report affords so incomplete a presentation of the transportation business that the accounts upon which it is based are by no means uniform that important agencies of railway transportation are excluded that it appears eighteen months after the close of the year to which it relates or that many of its averages are based upon such widely divergent facts as to be much less representative of actual conditions than is both practicable and desirable these imperfections and inadequacies also are results of legislative inertia until the frequently repeated recommendations of the statistician on these points receive the attention they merit he will be powerless to secure better results in either of these particulars the statement that less work was done during eighteen ninety six to ninety seven by both passenger and freight locomotives than during any previous year of which this office has record on page twenty four is not supported by the summary to which it refers on page twenty three the latter shows the work of passenger locomotives to have been greater than during eighteen ninety five and that of freight locomotives greater than during eighteen ninety four or eighteen ninety five it is difficult to believe that professor adams would claim that any considerable value attaches to the figure alleged to represent capitalization of new mileage given on page forty nine or to the average derived therefrom the footnote on the same page is also of questionable accuracy as it very materially understates the probable effect of changes in capitalization due to reorganizations exception must be taken also to the statement on page sixty one that there has been no reduction in railway passenger charges corresponding with that in freight rates while verbally accurate this is not unlikely to mislead those who are not students of transportation the movement of an article of freight between any two points is part of a commercial transaction that cannot be very materially varied there are differences in safety and speed but common carriers have always been insurers of the goods they move while the acceleration of the speed of freight trains even within the past fifty years is a matter of more importance to the railways in enabling them to handle increased traffic than to ordinary shippers the service of moving an individual by rail does on the other hand admit of changes of great importance safety is a primary consideration which no insurance can eliminate while time and general comfort en route are elements of scarcely secondary importance american travelers have demanded and obtained improved facilities superior signaling apparatus and other safeguards more comfortable cars and more rapid trains rather than actual decreases in rates but the purchasing power of their dollars in connection with passenger transportation has none the less increased one can illustrate this by comparing the charges for such services with those for hotel accommodations during former and recent years when in eighteen forty eight the novel luxury and unprecedented splendor of the astor house were greater marvels to the transient visitor to new york than is the waldorf astoria to his least sophisticated successor the rate per diem for meals and room at the former was but two dollars the railway rate at that time from new york to boston was just what it is today though it is undeniable 
that the inferiority of the railway accommodations to those of the present time was much greater than that of the astor house to the finest hotel of the present at the same time the journey by rail from new york to philadelphia required five hours and cost four dollars while the rate is now two dollars and fifty cents and the trip can be accomplished in two hours h t newcomb end of section six